This is the World of Multi-Employer Benefit Funds podcast with your hosts, Tom Shanklin and Tracy Doherty Shanklin, Managing Partners at CSU Investment Partners. If you're interested in labor and union benefit funds, well, you've landed in the right place. We are a go-to source for all things union benefit fund related, and we are going to bring you interviews with key decision makers and fund professionals that guide these plans. They'll share their insights, experience, unique perspectives, all of the latest developments and tips to unlock the mysteries of multi-employer benefit funds. Time is short, so let's get started. Please welcome Tom and Tracy. Today, I am very excited about our guest, Douglas Doherty. Besides being my dad, he has had a 44-year career in the labor movement. His career in labor began with the Retail Clerks International Union, which merged with the Amalgamated Butchers and Meat Cutters of North America to form the United Food and Commercial Workers International Union. He retired from the UFCW in 2004 after serving 10 years as the international president. After retiring from UFCW, he became president of America's Agenda. America's Agenda is an alliance that brings together labor unions, businesses, healthcare providers, and policymakers who share a commitment to advance the mission of affordable, high quality, and accessible healthcare for all Americans. Thank you so much for being with us today. You're quite welcome. I thought we'd start off by asking you to tell us a little bit about the various positions you held. You had quite the path, and we'd like to hear a little bit about it. Well, I I started off in Roanoke, Virginia in 1961 as an organizer. I spent uh, six or seven years organizing uh, in various states and, and on various campaigns. And then I was promoted to assistant director in Cincinnati. Uh, From there, I was moved to Philadelphia as assistant director, and then from Philadelphia to Washington as director of the National Director of Organizing. And later on, I was moved to New York to be the director of that region. I was in New York for nine years and then moved uh, back to Washington, D.C. as a director of organizing. And from that position, uh, I later became international president. Uh, Doug, could you briefly explain the importance of the pension and the health and welfare funds and, and what they mean to the union members? Well, that's quite an easy task. The, it means everything to our members. It's probably the most important benefit that our members enjoy as a result of being members of the UFCW or any uh, labor organization, particularly in the health and welfare. The health and welfare of late has been so important to everyone, and, and with the possibility of more people losing uh, insurance and the fact that there's always been a large number of uninsured uh, working Americans in this country, and uh, with the highest cost insurance in the world and people that have families see their premiums going up so high that that many of them just can't afford them. And the, the, the other thing is that many companies that would like to provide insurance for their workers and for their employees find that they can no longer afford them because the uh, cost of insurance is going up by uh, double-digit inflation almost every year. This leads us right into your role with America's Agenda. What are the trends you are witnessing in the healthcare movement? 
Well, the year before I retired as international president, uh, which was 2004, we had a a strike uh, with our three largest employers, and we had great relationships with our employers. But we ended up on strike in, in Southern California, of all places, where we had almost everybody in the industry organized. But the strike was over the fact that the cost of health care and pension kept going up so vastly every contract negotiations that the employers started to take position that they were going to start shifting the cost to the workers. And uh, our members, who are their workers, decided that they were willing to fight for that. And, and we did. We had a, had a long strike. Uh, it lasted for 140 days. It involved 70,000 of our members. And almost every store in Southern California was a uh, grocery store was affected by this. And it was a, a terrible experience for everyone. The, the company's lost billions of dollars in sales. The union, uh, I know for a fact, lost $350 million in benefits that we paid to our members to, to as, as strike benefits and as hardship funds. And our members lost even more because they uh, actually lost their incomes with just the augmentation of, of what we could give them in strike benefits. And and, and this strike was over something that was neither the fault of the union or the company. It was the fault of the fact that health care costs continued to go up every year. And uh, when you start thinking about double-digit inflation every year and the fact that every single year fewer and fewer employers uh, can afford to give health care to their workers, it makes for a situation that's neither the employer's fault or the union's fault. So we had a terrible, terrible strike that adversely impacted our union and and impacted the companies, but mostly impacted our workers. So the the members that we represented, it just it didn't make any sense. It was something that we couldn't neither the company or the union could could have any real effect on. So, do you think Obamacare did enough to help solve our health care crisis? Well, even before Obama was elected, I went to help to form America's Agenda Healthcare for All. And we lobbied in various states where we thought we had uh, the political strength to get health care passed on a statewide basis. And of course, uh, we lobbied in favor of Obamacare. But the bottom line is that Obamacare uh, had so many people with uh, differing, differing views trying to put their two cents worth in that it became very complicated. But I can tell you this, that it helped a hell of a lot of people get health care, people that wouldn't have had it. It accomplished one of the main goals we had, that people that had medical conditions that were prohibited from even buying insurance were permitted to do so. And insurance companies couldn't cancel somebody's insurance and get rid of them because they had health problems. So that was a major, major accomplishment, and, and it did help. But it's like any piece of legislation that's passed. Uh, it should have been amended year after year after year and improved each year. Instead, we had a political situation where uh, uh, the Republican Party, who was against the health care bill, tried to dismantle it every year and get rid of it. So uh, nothing was ever, ever added to it to make it uh, the kind of bill it should have been. 
Well, given that, I guess, what what needs to be done going forward to get some sort of momentum, to get things on the right track? And we're certainly dealing with a, with a divisive Congress right now. And, and what are our best hopes in terms of seeing some progress in this area? Well, I think the only hope we have is uh, the American people rising up and saying enough is enough. We've had health care has been the third rail in in the political situation in this country for years. Everybody's known how important it is and how critical it is. And yet everybody keeps promising to do something about it, but nobody does it. And it's time that the American voters uh, and the American people start saying, hey, enough is enough. You guys go in and let's get some health care passed that is meaningful that provides health care, comprehensive health care for every American and and does not allow all the price gouging and, and uh, all the shenanigans that are going on in health care to continue to exist because we still pay more than any other country in the world. Think about that. And, and we have every year we have more and more Americans that go without any insurance at all. One of the things personally that I've witnessed happening is this pass-through of costs. Is there anything that we can do to, I guess, better educate the consumer on how to have a voice where healthcare reform is concerned? Well, people that, that go out to have medical situations worked on are not consumers. Uh, the reasons they're not be- consumers is because they don't have any idea what it's going to cost them to go to a doctor. And there's no way of telling what the doctor's going to charge, what the hospital's going to charge, what they're going to charge for blood tests or anything else. And that's one of the big problems. People can't be consumers unless they have the ability to make the, the choice about what they're getting. And uh, that's not happening in this country. And that's just one of the many things that's going on that, that, that uh, need to be corrected. What do you believe the biggest challenge is for unions today in keeping their both their health and welfare and their pension fund healthy? Well, it, the problem that all unions are facing, and, and particularly the unions that participate in America's Agenda, I can speak about their problems uh, a, a lot more coherently than I could anyone else's. But the bottom line is that, that health care costs continue to go up on a double-digit inflation basis every year. So that puts more and more of the dollars that are necessary to get a settlement when you go to, if you go and negotiate with an employer for, say, a three-year contract. Uh, they've got so much money to spend, and you've got to figure out how to get as much as you can to take care of the increased cost in, in health and welfare. Then you have, uh, because the markets are not totally stabilized, you have increased cost in pension benefits. And then you get around to wanting to give people a wage increase so that they can continue to live at the same standard of living. So it's a very, very monumental problem that needs to be worked on and needs to be uh, addressed. But I can tell you this. I know that we, um, the union that I represented, had a million 300,000 members. A little over 300,000 of those members were in Canada. And the Canadian health care plan was such that that you didn't have to go in and negotiate anything in the way of health care there because it was taken care of on, on the fact of a national plan. 
in the United States, of course, we don't. And the healthcare costs are much higher. But the fact of the matter is that it complicated the negotiations so much more in the United States than it did in Canada that I'm a great believer that we need some kind of national health insurance. That may not be practical and it may not be possible, but we certainly have to start moving in that direction and we have to do something that will stabilize and, and bring the cost of healthcare dollars spent on health care into line with what the rest of the economy is going. We know there's going to be inflation, but does health care dollars need to be four or five times higher than the normal inflation? I don't think so. Doug, work, uh, the working people today, uh, there, there's clearly never been a greater need for an advocate out there. And uh, I, I think the time is ripe for labor unions in general to come out and become an, a voice for the people. What can unions do that might help them become more relevant and more vocal in advocating worker rights in today's world? Well, the first thing to do is that needs to be done is they need to change some of the labor laws. The labor laws in this country make it uh, much, much harder to organize, uh, say, for instance, than they do in Canada. Uh, in Canada, we see our membership in Canada continuing to grow every year. And in the United States, it's leveled off, and we have to fight all kinds of battles to try to keep it stabilized. And many unions in this country are losing jobs, particularly those, those unions in the manufacturing industry. So if you can't figure a way to get your message across because the labor laws are, are so restrictive that they, they give the employers all the advantage and the workers no advantage, then it's going to be hard for the labor unions to uh, to change what's going on in American society. Really important. Is there anything that we've missed that you'd like to address regarding the healthcare crisis? Well, one of the things we're doing in in America's agenda, and it's in a it's in a small way at this time, but it's starting to get some traction, is we're trying to redesign the healthcare system. Uh, involving doctors and, and medical uh, operations and insurance companies uh, so that we save a lot of the extra cost that's being burned up and, and misused and, and very frankly abused and wasted in this society that we're in. So that's one of the ways, but the real way is for people in general to get so upset over the fact that they can't foresee their family continuing to have health care in this country because of the rising cost, that they rise up and they vote for politicians and insist that they do something to improve the health care system, the way it's delivered, the cost, the waste, and a lot of the things that are going on now. So uh, that would be my only suggestion. Which is an excellent suggestion. I had the opportunity to travel with you to Oklahoma to see some clinics. Can you tell us a little bit about that project and how America's Agenda foresees possibly expanding on it? Well, this is a situation where we're working with Spirit Airlines in, in uh, Oklahoma and the United Auto Workers. And uh, we basically set up clinics that are offering concierge service 
and medical needs service to our the members that work in uh, in these plants. It's set up on the basis of very simple basis that when you go in, you mean something. You're important. You go in and 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 people pay attention to you as an individual. The doctors, uh, and this is a requirement that we have when hiring doctors. And by the way, uh, uh, the union and the uh, company both interview the doctors to make sure they're being the kind of doctors we want them to be. And that's somebody that's attentive, that's that's more concerned with the individual than it is running a treadmill where they've got to bring uh, people in and get them out of the, the clinic in, in, in a short period of time and spend as little time with them as possible. In, in our situation, the people go in, they, have, they get appointments either the same day they call for the appointment or the next day. They're guaranteed appointments. Uh, when they first go in, they get anywhere from 25 to 40 minutes of time with the doctor, not the doctor's physician. The doctor uh, then finds out what their medical history is, goes through a complete list of all the things that they see need to be done, and do as many of them as they can. They don't send somebody over to uh, another doctor just because they feel compelled to not do it, that they're compelled to do it. In fact, if, for instance, uh, little things like freezing a blemish on your arm off, and instead of sending them to a dermatologist to do that, where they charge a big fee, they do it right there in the office. If there's uh, other little things that need to be done, a lot of blood work and so forth that need to be done. If they need medicine, they literally give them the medicine and the top 50 prescriptions that are prescribed in this country are given free to, to members coming into these clinics. And they go out and they feel like they're important. They feel like they've been uh, had their physical needs met. And they go out and they rave about what great service they got. And this is because this is the way medicine should be. It shouldn't be this thing where you go in, you get uh, weighed, you get nurse uh, that, that comes in and talks to you for a minute, and then you get a physician's assistant that comes in and talks to you for a minute, and then you get a doctor that comes in. They answer that question. If you try to bring up something else that needs to be done, they say, well, we're going to have to set up another appointment for that and send you on your way. That's part of what the problem is in, in healthcare in this country. And, and uh, uh, we think we've come up with a better way. And I'm sure we're seeing more and more of these clinics, uh, both some that we're affiliated with and have something to do with, and others that are just popping up all over the country that we think are going to help the, the healthcare condition and help lower cost. I think the biggest takeaway for me during the visit was also the attention paid to prevention and the educational pieces that they're providing in the office for the members for some of the more chronic diseases and more regular diseases, I should say. I said more often um, people come down with it with heart disease and or diabetes all preventable with prevention and education, and I thought that was amazing. Well, and, and the, the other thing on that is that our physicians are rewarded on the basis of what you just said. They're rewarded on, on if it's somebody's a diabetic, they, they, they get an in, they're incentivized and monetarily advantaged when uh, they they cause a number of their patients' uh, A1C to go down or if they're, they uh, bring... Uh, 
a heart patient's high blood pressure down or if they do other medical improvements. The other thing that, that I think is very critical is that these doctors are required to give the patients their cell phone number. Think about that. You try to call a doctor, and I, I know quite often I try myself, and I wish I could find a clinic like this that I could go to, but the bottom line is you try to call a doctor, and, and usually you'll get a call back in two or three days, and it's never from the doctor or almost never from the doctor. It's from, from somebody saying that Dr. So-and-so asked them to call back and tell you this or tell you that, and it's very little information. There's very little flow in, in terms of what's wrong, uh, what you really need help with medically, and with the doctor trying to solve your problems medically. Well, I don't have any other questions. That was amazing. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And Tom, do you have anything you'd like no, to No, I, I think that uh, touches a lot of points that really a lot of people are concerned about, a lot of the issues that uh, are in the headlines today. And I think there's a consensus that uh, something needs to be done. It's just a matter of getting the momentum and getting some people to motivate. And I think you're right, Doug. I think it starts with the politicians and getting people who are listening to the people. And then you start, you follow that up with the legislation. And it's just, there's a whole mindset here that has to change. But, but thank you for bringing all this to the table for us today. You're welcome. With that, we will close this amazing conversation with Douglas Doherty. If you thought this episode was valuable, please share it. Our goal is to expand this much-needed healthcare conversation. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll listen to our next episode. And that's it for this week's episode of the World of Multi-Employer Benefit Funds podcast. We would love to hear from you. And if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, head over to www.sisuinvestmentpartners.com and let us know. Tom and Tracy, thank you for joining us. And we look forward to next time. For even more information and resources, head over now to www.sisuinvestmentpartners.com and get involved.